If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn them to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible and need a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. It's yours for free. We have some on the table over here. You can grab it, keep it, write your name in it. And uh, we want to make sure everybody has access to the Word of God. And it, because it's so important, Peter's been telling us that the, what we have written here is so sure that you can depend on what's in this book, that these weren't things that were made up by anybody, but rather that God carried along men as they wrote down the truths that were, to, were, that were, were written in this book. And so he's been just going kind of over the top, but not in a bad way, but just he wants us to be sure that we can trust what God has said, because what's in this book is the good news. It's the truth. It's the gospel. And he doesn't want us to, to be robbed of knowing the truth. Let me ask you a question real fast before we get into scripture. Raise your hand if you like to be lied to. Come on now. Raise your hand if you like to be lied to. Maybe on certain occasions if somebody comes up to you and say, have you lost weight? <laughs> you know they're lying. I know they've been saying it to me lately. I was like, you're lying. I have not lost weight. I've gained weight. And, uh, you know, there's but in general, nobody likes to be lied to. I mean, I hear guys going irate when the car salesman lied to them about the truck they bought or, you know, when women, uh, you know, they were sold and, and snookered into something. We don't like that when somebody sells us on something, but it was based on a lie. And then come to find out later when the truck falls apart or the, 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 the item we bought isn't as good as was sold, that it was a lie. We don't like that. And so certainly when we're talking about eternity, when we're talking about what God has done, do we not want to be lied to? And so we're going to go. Um, clear through chapter two today because what he's dealing with is the fact that while God speaks the truth in his scripture that there actually is uh, people who come lying and we need to be um, um, sure that we have our attention so that we don't get lied to so here it says in second Peter chapter two verse one but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So he comes here and says, hey, there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be teachers who are bringing lies to you. They're about greed. They're trying to appeal to your sensuality. And he said a word here in here that's interesting. He says, and in their greed, verse three, they will exploit you. The word that's used there for exploit is this. You will be made merchandise. You are no longer seen as a person. You are seen as somebody who is a means to whatever they're greedy and is and so people will come into the church and use you for their gain and for their advantage now peter said in chapter one that god has many great promises and we always think about that in the way of jesus died and he's given us salvation he forgives us and the promise of eternal life and those are certainly god's good promises but here he also makes promises that are good even though they're speaking in kind of a negative way because he said this not that there might be people, not that there might be false teachers, not that this just might happen, but that there will be people. This is going to happen where people will come along and they'll make you feel good about things. But when it gets down to it, they're lying to you. 
They're not trying to bring you the truth. They're not trying to bring you along in Christ. They're not trying to make sure that you're on target for Jesus. They're trying to do something for their own ends. Be careful about them. What's more scary about this isn't that it said that these false teachers will be out over there or that these false teachers will come across broadcast from yonder. Where did it say that they were? It says that the false prophets arose among the people. That's the scariest thing is that within a congregation, there can come some as wolves that are calling people to themselves or to their teaching. And it happens right in the midst of the church. That's the scariest thing. And so Peter says, you got to be careful because there will, that's the promise. There will come people who are trying to teach false things. It'll happen. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I hate when people lie to my kids. I hate it. It drives me absolutely mad when I see somebody take my child and steer them in a direction. And, and, and a lot of times we entrust them into situations where like, certainly this should be okay. You know, we bring them to church thinking, certainly this will be okay. I remember I dropped my kids off at school one day thinking, certainly this will be okay. And they would have these words of wisdom that they would speak at the beginning of school oftentimes. And the words of wisdom that day came from the Dalai Lama, a leader of a religious uh, a religion that's that's not christianity and the the words of wisdom for the day was that you could find truth within yourself that's not scriptural and so we have to be very careful that that we right as as fathers as mothers as people that were protecting the mind because we don't like our kids lied to well guess what the father in heaven does not like his kids lied to it irritates him it frustrates him it makes him angry how angry does he get Well, the rest of this chapter is going to convey just how much God loves you and doesn't want you to be lied to, to be careful about these people. So let's look at verse four. He's going to talk about people that uh, underwent judgment and also were spared. Uh, Those were judged who lied and those were spared who, 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 who were righteous. Here it says in verse four, but if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So he addresses here the fact that at one time there was no sin. Beginning with Satan, Satan said, I want Jesus a spot. And with him, there was a third of the angels that rebelled against Jesus and they were cast out. So what he's saying there, if God didn't even spare angels and when they sinned, they were cast down then God's willing to bring judgment. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If you remember that back in Genesis chapter 6, things had gotten so evil and out of hand in the world that everybody was only doing evil all the time. That's what it says. And God could not take it anymore. He had to bring judgment and start things over except by sparing one man and his seven relatives in a boat along with a bunch of animals in order to get on to the next season. But if God was not willing to save that whole ancient world, but actually destroyed them. And then he goes on and says this. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So this also is addressing an Old Testament story. There was two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that were rampant with sin. Um, basically, in Ezekiel, it says that their sin, the mo- at, the, at its essence, was pride and that they were overfed. But it, it was expressed in a lot of different ways. And, and so God said, these cities are done. He destroyed them with burning sulfur. And they're no more. They're extinct. Uh, most, most scholars think that they're probably somewhere at the bottom of the Dead Sea, a big salty sea. 
So God was unwilling in these different, in, with the angels, unwilling with Noah's day, unwilling with Sodom and Gomorrah, continue to allow these things to persist, and he judged them. But he also preserved people out of these. We've already heard of Noah, but it goes on here and says, and if he rescued Lot, verse 7, greatly distressed by the sensual uh, conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his uh, righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So if you remember that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God spared and pulled out Lot before it was destroyed. Verse 9 goes on and says, Then the Lord knows how also to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So, so Peter's really driving the point that, hey, if people come into the church and they are lying, they are false teachers, false prophets, they are not speaking the truth, they're twisting it just like Satan did in the garden, then God is willing to bring judgment and destruction upon those people. At the same time, he so loves his people, the people that he has turned towards salvation, that he will spare them, the lots, the Noahs, the people of Unity Church that are in with Jesus. He's going to spare them, but he, he wants there to be no mistake, you do not want to be playing around with sin. You do not want to be playing around with things that are false. So don't entertain them because God never entertained them. He, he, he has made an example of things that have happened in the past, and God has said for sure that his enemies will be destroyed. He wants to rescue his people out of those judgments. And so he goes on and he begins to talk more about these people who are false prophets, false teachers. Listen to the description here. You get the understanding that these people are not on God's good side. It says in the middle of verse 10, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. These are spiritual, either God or angels, the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions or, or love feasts while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So, so in there, that's a long description of him saying, look how arrogant they are look how bold they are to think that they can they can boast and have judgment against spiritual beings hey we leave that to the lord but these guys go on and they 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 have people that that come and they entice them and and he says actually that that one of the hard things about these people is that they're not often far away again it says that they're often sitting at your love feasts in our day we would say they're often sitting at your covered dish meals they're with you they're eating with you. He says, you've got to watch out. He goes on and gives the example of a man named Balaam. If you go back and read that story in Numbers, this was a man who was a false prophet. At one time, he was used to, to warn other nations that Israel was coming. You can't mess with their God. But eventually later, he became a very reckless 
prophet whereby one time when he was going, he wasn't even minding what he should be, and suddenly his donkey just stopped. And he, he starts kind of beating on his donkey, and the donkey keeps going and, 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 and ends up kind of crushing this guy's leg a little bit up against the, the wall, and the guy just begins to beat his donkey, and the donkey says, don't you see that angel of the Lord standing right in front of us? He's going to kill us. A donkey spoke to him. Later on, that prophet Balaam went on and for money enticed the people of Israel to participate in cultic prostitution. And so it was this reckless prophet who was bent on having money, not paying attention, end up steering the way of the people of Israel, God's people towards falsehood and against worshiping him. And Peter says, you got to watch out for people who are steering away from Jesus. It can be ever so slight, but in the end, it ends in destruction. You got to watch out for them. They might be sitting right at your table eating fried chicken with you. That could be dangerous. Here it goes on and he, he describes more. It just doesn't stop. These are body blows. This is like a long distance boxing match. Uh, here, here he keeps delivering punches. In verse 17 he says, These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled again in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness then after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So this is bad. I mean, he, he's just saying, it just goes from bad to worse. You're along with these people. What they've done is they've, they've, they've come and they've actually heard the gospel. They've turned away from it and they've believed a lie. And now they're selling. They're peddling it upon, among God's people. You've got to watch out for these people. Now, the, the hard part is this. They come in friendly. And I have to tell you the truth as a pastor. That's one of my hardest jobs is, is, is to ask the Lord for discernment and to know the word of truth. To, to be gauging people as they're amongst a congregation as to know whether they're here and they're just seeking, whether they're here and they're following the Lord, or whether they're here and whether by ignorance or by a flat-out plan, they're here to destroy. And that can be a difficult thing. I remember there was a church uh, at our church in Seattle. There was a fun-loving couple that came into the church at one point. They had lots of training. They had lots of experience in doing mission work. And they came in. And they became friends with a lot of the other, other young couples in the church. Well, eventually they joined the Bible study that had a lot of these young couples. And week after week they were going to the Bible study. And after some time, I began hearing some things back from the Bible study. And what I had learned was that this couple had taken and hijacked the Bible study and was training everybody in the Bible study, not to study the Bible, but to tell soft little stories about the Bible. They, they had taken the scripture and said, hey, hey, 
you, you don't need this anymore. Let's go to some simplified versions where we can just kind of entertain each other by telling some stories. And so I had to sit down with this couple. I said, you, you cannot continue to do this. This flock needs scripture. We, we, we can't go and try to think that we have it on our own and, and boil it down to just a couple concepts or to something that feel good. We need to be in the scripture. And if you are not capable of being in this Bible study and participating the way that we have trained and, and been led by God to study the scripture, then, then you're not able to be a part of it. And they argued and argued and argued with me. And I said, if that's the way it's going to be, you, there's the door. See, that's my job. That's the vigilance that we have to have. If people are coming and bringing false things into the church and teaching the people, it's as bad as people coming into my house and sitting down with my children and teaching them lies around my dinner table. And that's unacceptable. Not to me. I mean, it is. But to God, the father. He loves you and he doesn't want anybody to come and destroy you and buy simple little things to twist you, whether it's eating fried chicken and then tell you something false. He does not like that. He loves you too much to let you go away with that. And so there's also opportunities that I've had, even here in Four Oaks, where honestly, I have steered people away from this church. You say, how could you? Here's how I could. I had a woman uh, who, had, who had come to the area, was looking for a church had taught Bible studies, all kinds of things. She began to kind of tout her resume to me. And there was part of me that was like, hey, man, this could be maybe, you know, a good resource coming to the church. As we began to talk to the woman, there was there was a mysterious way of teaching the Bible that she began to speak about, where it, it was very much based on a mysticism, some of the some of the credentials that she had. And, and, and part of suddenly the Lord was like, do not invite this woman. Because if, if, if that gets into the church and then makes it into a Bible study, makes it into a Sunday school, and suddenly you have somebody who's teaching things that are based on mysticism and lies and feelings and some type of weird sorcery things, you can't have that at Unity Church. Now, I pray to the Lord, and I'm ministering still to this person, praying that the Lord brings to a better understanding of the truth, a dead-on focus on Jesus, but to take somebody and then to come and put them into a Bible study here at the church couldn't do it. And it saddens me to not be able, you know, I love bringing people towards Jesus. I love bringing kids and folks to the church and know that they're going to be fed. But to bring somebody who's going to have somebody come in and feed them junk, can't do it. Because I read Second Peter chapter 2 and God says, you know what, for those who have come and brought junk, let me tell you what I have for them. I have outer darkness prepared for them. I have utter destruction prepared for them. And if you think that I'm lying, if you think that I'm bluffing, look at the past when I took out Sodom and Gomorrah. Look what I did with the flood. Look what I did to the angels. I love you too much to allow that to come in. So be careful. Now, if you're sitting here today, I haven't asked you to leave this church because I, as far as I know, everybody here is on board, <laughs> you know. Um, but that also becomes a critical nature for us to say, like, man, well, this said that they knew the truth at one time and then veered away. It's also our responsibility to stay hard and firm in what we know, to not let ourselves suddenly go, hey, this could be a new movement where we could gain more people. This this could satisfy us. We get more people, we get more money. We get more money, we could build an even bigger playground or we can do this. We've got to be careful what our motivations are, but to know this, that we are going to be careful in making sure that we're learning the truth and staying dead on with Jesus 
And that we have moments of having, man, we, this whole stage was full of children this week. And it was a very humbling thing to know that they were steward, we, we were stewarding them. And we needed to give them the truth as it really was from the scripture. It's, it's, it's a, a critical thing for every teacher and Sunday school teacher in this church to know that, that you're not just feeding junk, but to know that you're feeding the truth. And so that's why we continue to sharpen. That's why we continue to come back and say, do we know what we know? And if we don't know, let's go figure it out. And if we haven't figured it out, don't teach it. That's why there's times in a sermon when I come across something and I don't know it, I just simply say, hey, I don't know. I'd rather say that, go figure it out, and later on come back and teach you the truth than stand up here and teach you a lie and then face the judgment of God. For the Lord has said those who teach in the church, they have to be uh, double accountable. They're more accountable for, for what they teach. And so Peter is saying, watch out. The thing that I love about this is like, you know, you read something like that, like Second Peter chapter 2, it's like, whoa, I mean, okay, I don't know. God seems pretty angry. Now, let me tell you about God. He's pretty loving. Have you ever known a loving father? Loving man, loving mother? They, they will protect their young ones to the death to make sure that they're healthy and cared for. And you know, our father in heaven, he did the exact same thing. He did that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the truth, the way and the life. And because we were sinful, we were all messed up. We all had sin. We all had filth. We are all living a lie. And God said, I'm sending my son to rescue them. And so it was when Jesus had come and he had walked among us and he went and helped us by telling us truths. He had done miracles and he was drawing people to himself that he eventually went up to that, went up that hill called Calvary and he was nailed to a cross. And while he was on that cross, it says, my, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And he cries out to him. Abba. Daddy. And then he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Father in heaven wanted the truth to come down and to save us. And he gave up his one and only son in order that by that, by, by that blood that was spilt for us to forgive us from our sins, the moment we say, Lord, forgive me, what happens is we are translated from being a nobody who's lost and on our own way to destruction. And he adopts us as sons so that if you would even say today, Hey, you know what? I don't know my earthly dad. If you are adopted into the family of God, you've also been adopted by a father. You have a daddy. And you can call upon him. And now that that's the truth, when you call upon him and you're like, dad, and he's like, hey, here's what I want to teach you. Here's what I want to provide for you. I want to steer you in the right way. He also wants you to know this. I don't want anybody to lie to you. It costs me too much to get you. I love you too much to let you go down. I, I came to rescue you. So this morning, I'm going to ask my friend Joy to come up. She's going to finish in a song. And as she's coming, I just want you to consider, consider truth and false. And to consider what it takes to maintain the truth. Isn't that hard sometimes? But the truth is this is that God sent Jesus to rescue us.
And he doesn't want us to believe any other lie. You know what the lie is? You know what the false teachers always come and say? You can find a way to peace other than Jesus. There's some other way to save yourself other than Jesus. That's a lie. Today, believe the truth that God sent Jesus to rescue you. And then to say, Lord, rescue me. Maybe you're swimming in a lot of lies. Maybe you're confused and just say, Lord, rescue me. Maybe you're discouraged because today's a really hard day for you. Say, Father, rescue me. Today is joy sings. I just want to invite you to just kind of pray in your heart and your spirit. And if you want to come up and pray with me in the front while she's singing, come on up. And if you come and, and somebody's already praying with me, you're going to have deacons. You're going to have other people because guess what? Welcome to the family of God. And in this place, whether we're at a covered dish meal or in this sanctuary, we need to be people who are caring for one another in truth and in love. And so let's listen and, and at this time, let's also pray in our hearts to the Lord.